0: Bye. Hello. Thank you for choosing the Lacadaisical Liberal Podcast. Without further delay, here is your host, Jordan Maywood. Hello, welcome to the Liberal My name is Jordan Maywood and I am the Lacadasical Liberal class Today within Liberal is TV Tuesday. That combines the day of Tuesday with the device known as television into a podcast. Is what it does, kind of. Mm -hmm. Something I like to say at the top of every show is that there will be spoilers. Folks, this is your one and only spoiler warning. This is covering my ass like so much underwear. So much. Another thing I like to say is that if you like what you hear, the only payment I ask is a million dollars. No, that is ridiculous.
1: The only payment I ask
0: is perhaps you pass the podcast on to a friend. Perhaps you rate, subscribe, and comment in iTunes because that is what helps others find podcasts. Those two things. Yeah, there you go. On that note, thank you to all the American folk to the south of me because I am in Canada who have uh, just done just that in the old iTunes very very much appreciated within Canada where I live where presumably all my friends are from Jesus uh, I still need two more ratings for my sort of average to show up in the iTunes store so please if you are Canadian and listening to this go over there have a rating get your rating on bang-a-gong. That will take us into the last piece of podcast-related madness, which is of course today's sponsor. Today's sponsor is the Chinese Smurf Communist Daycare and Education Enforcement Center. Once again, today's sponsor is the Chinese Smurf... Communist Daycare and Education Enforcement Center. Thank you to them. I am going to make the attempts to fit everything in on my drive to work, although it's probably impossible, so I don't know why am I even saying this. I'm basically just wasting time by saying this. doing, Making a task that is already nigh on possible, even more nigh on possible. Idiot. Idiot. I only have two items, but they're sort of jam-packed items. Item the first is Jimmy Kimmel Live. Jimmy Kimmel Live has become a sort of staple in the cube on a TV Tuesday just because I cannot resist bringing it back. It is irresistible. Simply irresistible. You could go so far as to say it's a combination of No matter what the guest, you know it will be good with Jimmy Kimmel sitting next to him or her. However, if you can sort of make the assumption that you will like the guest regardless of who they are sitting next to, then what happens is uh, a sort of math in which you add these two people together and it's a little slice of awesome comedy. Heaven. Heaven. That's what it is. And I'm an atheist, and I'm saying that. So, uh, what I've done is what I do with Jimmy Kimmel, and occasionally Conan O'Brien as well, and uh, brought back some of their guests. Guest number one, this is in no particular order other than the order in which I watch these on YouTube, because the good people over at Jimmy Kimmel Live, and kind of sort of, kind of, sort of, to a lesser degree on Conan post their interviews on their YouTube channel. So, thank you very much, because I am not up, conscious, late enough to uh, watch the actual shows as they air on TV. So, hey, guys, much appreciated. Guest number one, Neil Patrick Harris. Ah, yes, he is in the new Smurfs 2 movie. Haha. Hmm. He was... F- he did a good job, I will say this, he did a very good job at selling Smurfs to that it's something that everyone can enjoy, but I kind of did that. It doesn't seem like my bag of tea, per se, and that's coming from a guy who still watches cartoons and enjoys them very much so, but uh, I don't think Smurfs is kind of in there. Maybe it is, maybe I'm selling it short, maybe the comedy is actually high. Maybe it's one of those examples, like, say, a, uh, Spongebob Squarepants, where, although it is technically for kids, a lot of the comedy is still aimed at adults, so it's not just sort of, oh God, what am I watching? My stupid kid likes this, I guess I have to watch it. It's not that. And potentially, Smurfs 2 is like that. It kind of sounds like the possibility exists that that is the case. Jimmy Kimmel had, within Smurfs 2, one line. He plays a uh, passive-aggressive smirk. So that is funny. Yeah, see, look, maybe maybe there is comedy to be had. I think it's a movie that I wouldn't watch by myself. I would need a child of some sort to sit beside me and watch it so I didn't feel like a total idiot. So if you, listening to this, has a child you want to lend me for, you know, say two hours, hour and a half, however long this movie is, uh, let me know. You can do so to the email address provided in the closing credits or tweet at me, I am Jordan underscore Maywood, perhaps throw on the uh, hashtag Lendachild, and uh, we'll get her done. Another sort of evidence towards this theory is that uh, Neil Patrick Harris points out that this movie is good for kids as well as druggies. Yeah, I guess that kind of makes sense. The, the Smurfs live in mushrooms. Magical mushrooms, perhaps? <laughs> Lastly, he spoke of training your child's palates, uh, which I thought was a very interesting and, I'm surprised, apparently successful idea. He and his partner, I forget his name, have a kid who they sort of, uh, well, quite literally, as I just said, trained his palate. So he is like a giant sushi fan, and he's two years old. So I guess from the sounds of it, they'll give him sort of a wide variety of different tasting, texture, sort of fancied foods, I would say, and uh, apparently he likes it, eats it up, if you will, <laughs> literally and uh, other ways. Really. So that will leave Neil Patrick Harris behind. Let's move on to Larry David. Yes, Larry David of Curb Your enthusiasm of the co-creator of Seinfeld. That Larry David. I have never seen, I don't think, an interview with Larry David. He is not known for doing uh, interviews. Bit of a recluse, I think. (coughs) Sneezes like that. What? No. You can kind of get the impression that he is not exactly a fan of doing interviews. Just does not suit his sort of personality. Something that I was just sort of blown away and I remember even sort of told the missus about this, that uh, Larry David, within the television show Kirby Enthusiasm, and Larry David, in this interview, was the same person. Which leads me to believe that Larry David is the character that he plays on Kirby Enthusiasm. Now, I, I know it's supposed to be him, but now I've come to believe that the way he is quote-unquote acting on that show is not in fact an act. That is actually him, which is sort of mind boggling if you have ever watched Curb Your Enthusiasm, which I hope you have. I don't know if I've ever brought any back. Kind of think I have not just because I, it was before I started the podcast that I watched that. I'm pretty sure. Anyways, how about on that note, just give easy five out of five for those shows. Uh, one of the funniest shows on television. If it is still on television or when it was, it was and what? Let's go. So the interview start of, starts out with Lear David walking out. Uh, they have a big sort of setup where you wait in this teeny little room and a giant door opens upwards and then you head it on the stage. She could tell. well, not only could you tell, but he talked he spoke of it that what the what the hell is with this door? Come on that, come on Jimmy, that's that's ridiculous. Jimmy, can I call you Jim? Who do you prefer Jim or Jim? <laughs> Further evidence of his reclusivity is that uh, apparently he was supposed to make an appearance last year and cancelled, and the reason being was he cannot do back-to-back. Just in anything in general, but talk show appearances included. Jimmy uh, actually, uh, and good good on him, let him have it a little bit for cancelling, so didn't let him have have it off easy. Larry David apparently loves getting fired. Just it's a huge sort of sigh and sense of relief. The the act of getting fired, uh, getting fired or people canceling plans on him. He's just a huge huge fan. A lot of the things he said I could actually relate to. That's sort of, I like going out and having fun, however, sometimes the thought of doing so is like, oh god, I, I just wish I could stay home and watch a movie instead, and that is exactly how he feels, so a little uh, little commonality there. That will take us on to our next guest, and when I say our next guest, I mean Jimmy Kimmel's next guest, because I was not, in fact, there interviewing with him. I know, surprise, surprise, kel even, as the French would perhaps say. Next guest was Ben Stein. Ah, this one was cool because uh, you may or may not be aware that Jimmy Kimmel sort of got his television start on a show called Win Ben Stein's Money. It's a show I used to watch, in fact, back in the day. It was on uh, Comedy Central here in Canada, or the Comedy Network in Canada, probably Comedy Central in the U.S., if I had to guess, and that rhymes, and you know it rhymes. Uh, It was a very cool idea for a television show. It was basically Ben Stein, who is a super, super smart dude, would go on a sort of Jeopardy style game show, and it would be him versus two other people, and they would be playing literally for his own money. What? (laughs) He was so smart and confident in his intelligence that uh, very, very infrequently did they ever walk away with very much money. Just... Sort of mind-bogglingly smart. I remember watching and thinking that the questions on this show are harder than the questions on Jeopardy. Much, much, much more. Especially when they got to the final round. Final. They got into the final round of this show. The questions were just like some of the like, uh, blah, blah, difficulty, even getting across how difficult the questions were. Yes. He used to be a speechwriter for the president. What? That, that was a little unknown tidbit that came up. He, <laughs> I think my favorite story from this interview is that he had his Facebook account hacked. Someone hacked his Facebook. Which, if you're going to hack a Facebook account, Ben Stein is kind of an odd choice, but hey, what the hell. And whoever did it, posted this very sincere, somewhat lengthy message to the masses about how he was coming out of the closet, when in fact he has been married multiple times and is not, in fact, gay. Hmm. But everyone sort of believed it was true, which I can kind of... It's just that sort of bookish type that sometimes can give across the sort of feminine qualities that can be possibly associated with a gay man and he has some of those. So uh, everyone was very nice and kind to him, and he sort of, <laughs> I think he even went on so far to say that he wishes he was gay, just because everyone was so nice to him. Lastly, I should leave him behind, uh, I am not going to finish on my way to work, I will tell you that right now, with his three favorite movies that some, for some reason came up, uh, and they were very sort of Strange, a strange mix. So I wrote them down. Uh, Gone with the Wind. Okay, yeah, you know, I I, I can see that being on people's list. Blade Runner, which I can also see being on people's list. But what I have trouble with is being on the same list of the same person. That is weird. That combination on list of favorite movies is weird. Lastly, he will throw on a little uh, uh, the Great Gatsby, the recent, the recent. Didn't they make that again? Uh, I, I don't know. The Great Gatsby with, uh, What's his Stunts? Leonardo DiCaprio. He said that has moved into his number one spots. He has seen all of these movies at least 20 times each. And that's weird. And I like it. I like weird. I like Ben Stein. So, there you go. Next, he had on Selena Gomez, who, despite being a, I guess, pop star? Would you call her a pop star? I don't think I've ever heard her sing. Yeah. Uh, well... That seems to happen a lot nowadays, that these quote-unquote famous people who are famous for singing, I have never actually heard any of them sing. For example, I think my prime example was, um... Oh shit. Never mind, I can't remember her name. Amy Winehouse. Amy Winehouse, I did not hear her sing until probably a month or two after she passed away. And uh, that's a little bit of a shame, just because she had a beautiful voice, so... Hmm. There you go. I don't know what Selena Gomez's voice sounds like. However, she is not too shabby-looking. Easy on the eyes, you might even say. She has a number one album out. She just had her 21st birth, 21st birthday, which she had a genie theme, and, uh, is appearing in a action movie with e- with Ethan Hawke coming out, uh, soon. So, That's what she's up to. I don't really have time to go into details, so I'm not going to. (laughs) That's how time works. Lastly, uh, I wanted to slip this one in before I got to work. They, as you do on talk shows, play a variety of games, quite often on the street, man on the street kind of games. Uh, This was a new one, and I'm not sure how well it worked, although it was pretty funny. It was called uh, How Happily Married Are You, was the name of the game, where they would go out on the street, find a married couple, and then have them sort of face each other and write on a card on a scale of 1 to 10 how happily married they are. Uh, 1 being not happily married, 10 being very happily married indeed. (laughs) This is a horrible idea. I mean, a great idea for us. Horrible. Horrible idea for anyone participating in it. Uh, on the bright side, I suppose um, the guys every single time came out looking better than the girls, just in the sense that they sort of voted higher. So, <laughs> so that now means the wives have some spleening to do. Uh, let me run down just briefly what the rate, what the ratings were. The first guy and girl, uh, the girl gave an eight, and the guy gave a nine. I think nine is a good one, because ten is kind of like, oh yeah, okay, sure, buddy, perfect marriage, whatever you say. But nine, yeah, uh, that's a good way to go. I'd probably go nine, but honestly nine. Not thinking about how to win the game nine. I think honestly nine. Hmm, how about that? That's pretty nice. I wonder what the missus would go. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, married to me. Ooh, the, uh, the next couple, they both did 10s. Come on. That's ridiculous. Get over yourself. And the last couple, uh, the guy did 8 and the girl did 7. Ooh, How happily married are you? A 7 out of 10. That is not great. That is not great. It's not a 5. But, you know. Not great. Not great. Folks, I will be back with my next item, which is An Idiot Abroad. Final episode. When I do eight hours of work and come back and talk about it. Ah. Final thing to say, that is of course. Love you, dearies. Love you, dearies. I'm a fool to do your dirty working, working, working. And we're back. We are back. We are back. We are back. We are back. 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 We are back. Back in action. Hello again working robot powering down. I may have mentioned, but I will again because I find it amusing to myself, so hopefully others will as well that when I say working, robot powering down. I do a little bit of the robot maneuvers with my arms. usually just one arm as I am driving, so taking both hands off the wheel, it's not advisable. Not advisable at all. Why don't we hop right into TV Tuesday? I can't think of a reason, and if you have thought of a reason, well, I cannot hear you, because this is a one-way conversation. Item the second. An idiot abroad. Ah, uh, an idiot abroad. If you are unfamiliar with idiot, an idiot abroad, you are a poor, poor soul who is basically damned... For all eternity, or until you watch this show. You know, whatever comes first. Basically. This is season three, or since it is a British creation, perhaps series three is more accurate. I'm trying to think if I brought back any of series one and two. I think it may have been before the podcast that I watched it quite possible. However, when I saw a new season was season, I'm going to call it a season because I live in Canada and we call them season. When I saw a new season was available, I uh, hopped right on board. Lovely, lovely, lovely of uh, the Discovery Channel here in Canada to put these shows on their website. Thank you very much. So if you're in Canada and you haven't seen these, you have the opportunity to do so I believe they actually even have the first two seasons available as well, so go over there, check that out. Love the internet, and it sort of co-mingling with television to allow me to basically, now that I think about it, bring back every single item that I have brought back today is because of these intertwined this osities of TV and internet. Lovely. Again. Hmm. The Mrs. and I, in fact, watched these together, because I don't know how she sort of heard of this, other than me perhaps saying it was funny, but normally that doesn't do it for her. Normally doesn't trust my judgment. <laughs> must have heard from someone else that it was funny, and then decided she wanted to check it out. Hmm. Not that I'm bitter that she doesn't listen to the podcast either. No bitterness whatsoever. <sighs> Slight bitterness. Uh, Something very. Well, perhaps not very, but something strange about this particular season is that it is only three episodes. What? That is very, very strange. The first two seasons, although by no means long in terms of episode numbers, uh, this one is only three, which there's not very. It's probably closer to a a mini series, I, I think you would call this, than to a series. A mini-series, which further sort of makes sense when I call it a mini-series, because this time, in this series, Carl Pilkington is no longer the lone traveler of the globe. No, no, no. He has with him none other than Mr. Warwick, Warwick Davis, who you may know as, well, Willow, for one. That's how I know him, mainly. He is uh, what I believe now, oh god, the politically correct term, is a little person. Which is uh, basically a person who is little. (laughs) There you go, hence the name. At least it's accurate, I'll give it that. Uh, (laughs) What I actually did not know before this television show was uh, apparently he was one of the Ewoks in Star Wars as well. How about that? So it's the two of them traveling the globe. Specifically, in this case... Well, see, the sort of tagline is that they're retracing the steps of Marco Polo from Venice to China. Now, that being said, a lot of friggin' plane flights involved here, and I don't think Marco Polo had a plane to get them from India to China. Yeah, that's ridiculous. There's a lot of goddamn land between India and China, and they didn't cover any of it, other than by air. So that felt like a bit of a cop out, if you ask me. And uh, I guess that also explains the fact that it's only three episodes. I did bring back the first episode, so I'm not going to talk too much about that. Uh, it took place in Venice. That's where Marco Polo was born, so that's where the journey started. Hey, makes sense. Second episode was in India, which I did not bring back. However, kind of have a little bit of the tail end in this one, just This sort of end part of Carl Pilkington getting his freak on? (laughs) That's kind of probably not a nice way to say it, but it is true. Uh, Basically, within India, he decided he wanted wanted to check out the Spider Sisters. The Spider Sisters are a a pair. Would you call it a pair? A set? A set? A pair set? They are conjoined twins, how about I just say? I think the spider part sort of comes along in that when they are moving, moving around, locomoting, uh, they do have sort of a spider-like quality to them. <laughs> I like this sort of section of this television show for very many reasons. The fact that Carl Pilkington... Uh, <laughs> I don't... It's almost hard to describe, because I, I don't know if... Guaranteed he doesn't see anything wrong with things he says or does regarding the Spider Sisters. That, that right there is a guarantee, which makes him... Does it let him off? Does it let? Yeah, I think it does, for, for the most part. But some of the shit that he says is just so... Uh, sort of brings you a cringe. It makes you a-cringing, because of its awkwardness and definitely not political correctness which thereby causes awkwardness itself. And, um, I don't know, it's worth the watch, but you will, I can almost guarantee it, feel a cringe as I did in some of the questions he asked the Spider Sisters and some of the things he said sort of in the presence of Warwick Davis to get him involved with this. There's no really other way to call it other than get involved with this freak show because that's quite literally what it was Hmm. let's leave that behind and talk about their leaving india for china in which they flow flew there huh already mentioned not a big fan of that could have had a much longer series if they had a i don't know come by donkey let's say little burrow action i don't mind they arrived in china in the Was it Hong Kong right off the bat? I actually don't recall, but they hopped on board a boat, a pleasure craft, I guess you would say, a bit of a yacht-like cruise ship kind of thing on the Yangtze River. Uh, I know very little about the Yangtze River, uh, other than the fact that it's supposed to be, I do believe, if not the most, one of the most polluted rivers in the world, so that's not great. (laughs) They showed some of the sort of view of the cityscape from the river, and what I took to be fog, uh, apparently, Carl was saying was, in fact, smog, and if that is the case, Jesus Christ, clean up your act over there, quite literally, because it was pretty disgusting, and I can't imagine people who live there are going to lead long and healthy lives living in pollution such as that. pretty phenomenal. Uh, Again, they did sort of the standing joke of giving uh, Warwick Davis, who is a little person, a giant beautiful room where they'll give Carl Pilkington a, I guess, average sized person, a teeny tiny, um, ugly room. In, In this case, shared with six other Guys, Asian gentlemen. Asian gentlemen who apparently were in a band of some sort and liked banging on their drums and hitting their cymbals. I believe it was a music of some sort. However, to me, it just sounded like quite literally... Well, I guess not literally. It sounded like when you're a little kid and your mom and dad take all the pots and pans out of the drawers and let you hit them with spoons. That's what it sounded like to me. No offense, meant. Uh, There was a part where they got to meet a panda, Mm -hmm. a panda bear, no less. That had a little interesting section that, uh, because pandas are not, pandas born in captivity are not sort of, apparently, they they don't sort of grow up with the knowledge of mating. So, how do you solve that problem? Well, you put a TV in front of the panda cage that basically 24-7 plays um, panda porn, Panda Pornography. That, uh, I am fairly certain, will work its way into the title of this episode in some fashion or another. Panda Pornography, that is. Hmm. Uh, there was a stream section here where Warwick and Carl went into sort of the panda pen uh, to kind of interact with the panda, and they were told that they had to dress up as pandas to do this. Hmm. Seems, uh, f- you know, strange, but hey went in Rome or went in Panda pavilion do as the pandas do right right I suppose however a other sort of a gentleman went into the panda pan with them he was just in kind of his regular street clothes so that kind of made me uh, I guess jump to the conclusion that they just did this for television's sake is that possible hmm don't call me a pessimist but I think. That may be what happened. And as in any travel show, probably, let's go a high 90s. High 90% of all travel shows, you're going to have at least one point where the travelers will eat things that they would not normally eat. Alright, when you're in China, there is a sort of cornucopia of tastes and delights that they experience over there that... Us in the sort of Western world would say, what the fuck are you doing eating that thing? Carl, in a sort of strange fit of, hey, why the hell not? I might as well try it. Pretty much ate anything. And I guess that kind of fits. No, it doesn't really fit in his sort of personality that he would be experimental when trying new foods. But he was. On the other hand, Warwick Davis was (laughs) pretty much in a constant state of gagging to great hilarity. (laughs) There was a part where um, he took a bite of something and said, whatever you do, don't tell me what it was, turned out to be a lamb testicle. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another part where basically Carl forced him to take a bite off a rabbit's face. A cooked rabbit's head said, here, have a bite of this. He got it pretty close to his mouth before he realized that it was a head heading towards his mouth. So that was funny as well. There was a little drama in this episode involving climbing a pretty substantial looking, I don't want to say mountain, but a mount, a very, very large hill. To see the temple on top, as you can imagine, when you are Warwick Davis and your limbs specifically, I suppose your legs are not very long, climbing a mountain is not going to be easy. He did make it and the sort of drama part was uh, he was going to give up and it was all sort of very sad and depressing that he couldn't do it, but then sort of the way they built it up I don't know how close to reality this actually is despite this being, I guess reality TV they built it up that because of Carl's sort of nagging and making fun of him for not being able to make it that sort of idea of tough love that eventually he did decide to Keep on keeping on, and they made it to the top. Lovely. Again. Lastly, speaking of making it to the top, they went to a uh, skyscraper in Hong Kong. Was it in Hong Kong? I believe it was in Hong Kong. Went to the very, very top. Reminded me very much of the CN Tower, which we have here in Canada. I actually, kind of funny, now that I think about this, I'm about to sort of crest a hill, despite living, say, half an hour. I'm, I'm probably, right now, 40 minutes to two hours, depending on traffic, away from Toronto. And I'm about to crest a hill, in which I will be able to see the CN Tower. That sort of gives you an idea of how tall it is. Uh, so it reminded me a little bit about that, because what they have available here in in Canada, and there in Hong Kong is something called a skywalk, where basically they kind of hook you to the tower and you can walk around. Uh, something they do different in Hong Kong is you have the sort of ability to again, tie yourself off, and then uh, it's sort of a cross between skydive and bungee jump. It looked actually kind of cool despite my terrible fear of heights, and it was kind of a controlled freefall, I think is how they looked at it. So You would fall, you would fall pretty quick, but the whole time you were falling, you would be attached to something that sort of controlled your fall. They did this while dressed in tuxedos. Hmm. Sort of the idea behind it, and this is going to wrap it up for me, was that uh, Warwick was sort of charged by Ricky Gervais, who, if you do not know, is the one who sort of sets them up for these journeys, sets them out on their way, and I assume... Arranges and pays for things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyways, he sort of charged Warwick with talking Carl into doing this. (laughs) Spoiler on this he did not do it. Carl did not do it. Uh, I said to the missus at this point that I actually think I would have been disappointed if he had done it because it would have been him sort of folding to peer pressure and going against his personality, whereas him just sort of flat-out refusing to even entertain the idea of doing it, that sort of fit more in with the Carl Pilkington that we know and presumably love. Hmm. That's a nice place to end it. And by it, I do not mean my life. I mean this podcast. Folks, it is nice to be nice to the nice. Thank you for listening. This has been another edition of the Lacadaisical Libra Cubical Wrist. We here in the Liberal Cube would love to hear from you. If for any reason you would like to contact us you can do so via the email address mailwood.jordan at gmail.com And now I have a theory